All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide in the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles. I've got an excellent episode ahead for you. We've got a good friend of mine, Oliver Berman, is on the line. But first, we're going to check in with the old sponsors. First up, Yukonuba. Baby, Yukonuba. You can't find it on Chewy.com right now, so don't even try. But that's because they are working on a new formula. And it should be out any time now. This new formula is going to be higher digestibility, better content, nutrients, all that jazz for your dogs. And what I'm really proud of is they're always pushing the pace. They're always trying to get better and provide better food for our dogs. So bear with them on Chewy and Petco and all that jazz for that 30-20 sporting dog blend. It's coming out in the near future, but it's going to be better than ever. So... Thank you, Yuke, for pushing the pace, pushing the envelope, and always striving to provide the best for our dogs. Next up, Gunner Kennels. These guys do the exact same thing, but in regards to safety. So they are constantly reinventing that wheel of dog kennels so that when you're rolling down the road, your dog is protected. You got to love man's best kennel, baby. Uh, What do we got next? Traeger Grills. Let me tell you. So, little quick story. Me and Carrie got engaged. Big, big doings here at Lone DHQ, Lone de Chateau. 
And uh, so we got engaged, you know, excited about it. We had a little party and I cooked four pork butts on the Traeger for pulled pork. And it was so good. 1.30 a.m. I put those suckers on the grill, let them smoke. And it was like eating candy. It was amazing. Right now we've got little Izzy, lone ducks, Izzy, 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 can't you see? Uh, she is sitting next to Kevin's microphone, so if you can hear her huffing and puffing, uh, we probably need to mute that. But any- <laughs> No, we're good. <laughs> we good. But that Traeger, man, it, it's so easy to use, and it's provided meals like I never thought I could cook. And so if you're interested, welcome to the Traeger hood. Smoke them if you got them, baby. Um, next up, Dogtra, the e-collar that I use, have used for over 10 years now. I believe in them. They believe in us. Customer service, top notch. If you do have an issue, which is rare, they got your back. Now, everybody asks, what do I use? I use the Edge RT. It's the pro model. It's a three-dog unit, one to eight intensity level. But in that, you have low one, medium one, high one. And so you can vary your your stimulation uh, to meet the needs of the dog and the correction that uh, you need. And Oliver and I are going to talk about corrections later in the episode. So Edge RT, that's what I use every day. When I go hunting, 1900S. If you want to order one, you can check it out at LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Slip that one in right there. And then new guys, Kent Ammunition. Kent Ammo, baby. They believe in us. I'm super excited to have them on board. We're going to be shooting that bismuth. That bismuth. So I'm really excited to see how the old over-under lays a smackdown on the Ducks this fall. We've got opener, um, not opener, it's already open, but I've been too busy to hunt geese. So I'm hoping at some point this September I can get out and kill a Canada goose with the over-and-under and that bismuth. So thank you to Kent. Appreciate their support. And lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They're the team that Gets the analytics going so that we know that we're top 30 in Canada. Thank you, Canada. Whatever. What's their uh, national anthem? Oh, say, can you see? That's ours. <laughs> I know I'm the worst. What is theirs? Oh, Canada, we are 30 in your country. Thank you. So thanks, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. All right, Oliver. Thanks for sitting through that shenanigans. Guys, Oliver is a professional retriever trainer hailing from the great state of South Carolina, South Kekalecki. And he's a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. And it's uh, we're going to talk about Clemson Retriever Club. And that's that's first how I met him. Um, so Oliver, do me a favor, introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, my man. Well, thanks, Bob and Kevin for having me on. Um, like the Western Chester said, I feel like I've made it now. Uh, in the dog world. I've listened, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, glad to be on the podcast. Thanks again for having me. A little bit about myself. Let's see. I was born in a little town called Warrington, England. Um, oh, that's right. You are, you are not American, but now you are. Yeah. A few months ago, actually, I became a citizen. Congratulations. Um, thank you. It was awesome. Um, so I was born over in England. Um, moved to America when I was about five or six. My father was working for a company and they asked him to start a branch over in North America, which brought us to the big city of Greenville, South Carolina. 
moved there and pretty much grew up there up until college. I did not grow up in a hunting or really outdoors as far as wing shooting background. Didn't really do any retriever stuff growing up. We had an Irish setter was probably my first dog that I can remember. You know, grew up, went to high school and really got into hunting during college. Met some guys and they kind of took me under their wing. Uh, one of my buddies had sent a dog off to, to training, got it back. We were out goose hunting and I think we killed a goose. Maybe it was a duck and she went out there, wouldn't pick up the bird. Typical, you know, live bird, didn't know what to do. But it was getting frustrated. Uh, me and my other friend were sitting on the bank and that was the first experience I had with a retriever and ducks and waterfowl. And we went out there, played with it, got it to pick up the bird. And, and after that, man, I was hooked. Went to Clemson University and I'll remember, let's see, I think this was my sophomore year. I had a little bit of money saved back from, uh, tuition and my mom said, oh, there's a little bit of money. Do what you want with it. And I, I was ready for a dog, didn't really know what I wanted, and did some research online, found a litter, and called up the breeder, talked to him. Um, and I remember calling him and saying, hey, look, you know, I, I've only got, you know, a few hundred dollars I want to spend on a lab. And he kind of just said, well, good luck finding one. Right. Um, you know, he said our, our labs were like $1,000 back then, uh, you know, both out of, I think the father was maybe HRCH, maybe a Grand Hunt Retriever champion. Um, mother was maybe a senior hunter and put a deposit down on a puppy and that fall picked up Willow, uh, which I think you've heard of. Yep. Willow was my, my first dog that kind of got me into, uh, the retriever game and, and I got the bug after her, had no clue what I was doing with her, made a ton of mistakes and got her home, what, you know, eight, nine weeks old and kind of had been talking with the breeder at the time and planned on sending her back uh did a little bit what i you know what i knew i read the water dog book like everyone else and follow along with that man and she was just an awesome awesome dog um you know you could take her anywhere you could you know parties in college i'd take her with me put her in the corner of a room on a blanket and she just lay there the whole time i think most of the guys that went to clemson don't really know me they just know my dog and so sent her off to training my sophomore year. She, she went for a few months, got her back. And that's kind of really what got me started. Um, and I think that was almost the time where you were kind of starting Lone Duck. I think that's how we met. I remember seeing some posts on Facebook and gave you a call and we chatted. And then next thing you know, uh, we started the Clemson University Retriever Club. From there, we, you know, we wanted to start something with some guys that could, you know, like-minded and go training. And really the main reason I started it was Clemson had so much property around to use for training, but it was all private. Uh, and so that was a way us being a club, we could use, kind of use their property, uh, to dog train. And we got a few guys doing that. Uh, we spent, let's see, you know, our sophomore, junior and senior year kind of, kind of hit that pretty hard. Um, I think back then the super retriever series was even trying to do a little bit of collegiate stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just couldn't, couldn't really find, I don't think the, the amount of people they wanted to do it. And then I think now it's, you know, it's starting to kick off, but we kind of, I think we were kind of the first retriever club or collegiate retriever stuff going on at that time. Um, and the, the outpouring of how can we help you from all these different trainers who I know now, uh, years after that. Um, 
So that kind of got my kick on the dog. Um, Can I stop you for a sec? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a couple other guys who've stuck with it from Clemson. Right. And that Retriever Club, right? Like Richard Dorn. Yep. Big shout out to Richard. Yep. Richard Dorn. There's another guy, uh, a buddy of mine, Ryan Pruitt. He's, He's a big listener. Um, he lives local to me actually now, and he, you know, he was one of the the members. And, I mean, I think we had, I think we had probably ten or fifteen guys. Again, I don't, I don't really know if any of us knew what we were doing, looking back at it. But you know, it was a way for us to get together, have some really good property. I think back then uh, we were all kind of running started and senior and that kind of stuff. We didn't really know exactly what we were doing, but it was, a, you know, it was a way for us to to get together, train, and that man, that's really what kind of just got me hooked. Absolutely. I never, you know, never, just probably just like you with Buck, I, I never imagined I'd be doing what I'm doing now after buying that, you know, thousand dollar puppy and, you know, look at here what we're doing. We're talking on a podcast about dogs. Yeah, no doubt. But what I think is super cool about the Clemson Retriever Club is a, a group of young guys and probably now girls that get together, train dogs, college you know, most people are irresponsible and shouldn't have a dog, but you guys did. And then you actually right. did something with them and you got the school's support to help you do it, you know, in, in different pieces of the property that they have. And then the look at us now, I mean, you're a professional dog trainer competing on a national level at master national and, you know, traveling up and down the coast, going to hunt tests and doing a big things. And then Richard Dorn st- Stayed an amateur, but that sucker's winning super retriever series with his dog, winning field trials, you know, has a second dog now that's doing really well. You know, let's say 10 guys were in it just for math. Two of those 10 guys stuck with it and are now competing on a really, really high level. So your skill set as an amateur when you were 20 to now at 28, 29, 30 is, you know, so much better better but you guys stuck with it you know that one dog didn't just come and go and fade it, it developed a passion and I, I think that's super cool yeah absolutely super cool and so yeah so you know Richard and I think he, he ran when you were at Greg's was he not down in South Carolina for the oh, yeah, he kicked my butt yeah he, uh, he's been doing good but yeah so the Clemson you know the Clemson Retriever Club kind of got it going for me I graduated from Clemson with a wildlife and fisheries biology degree during my, I guess it was my junior year, uh, the trainer that I was using in Georgia had, had, uh, told me about a gentleman named Colby Williams, um, who was a young pro on kind of getting his foot in the door with everything. He had worked for some other, uh, big time trainers and he was actually located probably 20, probably 20 minutes from Clemson. Um, and he said, Hey man, you know, you really need to talk to this guy. If you go to this hunt test and it'd be someone close to you that could kind of, you know, take you under their wing, show you what to do, you know, go talk to them. Kind of like you've told people, go throw birds for people, go clean kennels, whatever you've got to do to, to get some help. I wasn't looking to do this for a living or career, or I was just looking to figure out how to train my dog. My dog was pretty vocal uh, when I got her back. And that was really my main concern on, on how do I fix this and what do I do? And the trainer being far away, it wasn't really a feasible option being in college to drive so far every weekend and go train with him. And so I went to a hunt test really with the intention of meeting Colby and, and saw him there, uh, introduced myself, 
very kind of quickly and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm up at Clemson. I, you know, I work a full-time job, but it's, or, you know, part-time at the time, but if you need help, let me know what I can do, man. I, I'd love to come clean kennels for you. I'd love to come throw birds, what, whatever I need to do to learn. Um, and he, he said, okay, man, you know, I, I call you back and gave my number. And I thought, yeah, there's no way this guy's going to call me. And I think Monday morning or maybe Sunday night on the way home from the hunt test, he called me and said, Hey, you know, I, I just started a kennel over here and would love to have you out. Come on out and went out there. I don't know, two days later. And that was pretty much what I did my, the fall of my junior year into the spring of my uh, senior year, uh, just throwing birds for him, cleaning kennels watching, learning. He showed me kind of how to do a little bit of obedience here and there. And then, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, I had just spent all this money on college. And here I am telling my parents, I think I want to train dogs. Uh, they kind of laughed at me. And I said, well, you know, I, I didn't spend all this money. I, all this time, I probably should try to do what at least I went to school for. And so I kind of got away from the dog training. And after college, I went and worked for Ducks Unlimited up in Washington, D.C. And put on a, yeah, I put on a suit and tie every day. Um, it was the, you look so gov- handsome. I did, man. Uh, <laughs> I had a little American, American flag pin on my chest. Um, but it was cool. You know, we, we did, it was the governmental affairs office. Um, I was kind of like an internship to hopefully get a full time position. And I've always been one of those guys that, if an opportunity comes, I'm going. You know, there's no questions asked. Right. If, if I get a job off and that's where I want to go, I'm leaving the next day. And so I had, you know, been in touch with DU for a few months, you know, my last year. And uh, they offered me the position. And I think I graduated on a Friday. And on Sunday, I was packed up in my truck headed to D.C. So I moved up there for the summer and spent three or four months there. And after about two months, uh, Colby had actually taken Willow on a summer trip with him out in Nebraska. And I think every day he sent me a picture of her. Like, hey, this is what you could be doing, but instead you're sitting in an office sweating and wearing a suit and tie. And, um, so that kind of, kind of got me going like, hey, man, I, you know, I don't really know if this office life, suit and tie, shaking hands and walking around the Capitol is, is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So after about three months, Colby had convinced me to, to come and work, come back to South Carolina and work for him. And so I think he came back in like end of August, maybe from his summer trip. And I was there the middle of August. And that's kind of how I got started in the retriever training for a living as uh, I worked for Colby for almost two, two and a half years. I learned pretty much everything I know now from him uh, or people that he's worked for and and passed on to him and kind of followed down the chain of command. So I kind of owe everything I know to him for sure. And, uh, you know, like I said, I worked for him with an assistant. We did, you know, I did a lot of the gun dogs, a lot of the obedience, uh, up to probably your transition season level. You know, I remember running my first started test with, I don't know, six or seven dogs that probably could have ran finished and thought, you know, thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, you know, we, we went to a hunt test. I still remember. So down at uh, Mossy Pond, we went down there and. I think we ran 24 dogs and I think I ran probably eight starter dogs, nervous as could be, you know, was scared out of my mind and just kind of got, got the bug from that from running hunt tests. And like I said, worked for him for two years, two and a half years. And just, you know, you know how it is being an assistant. It's, it's a lot of work. I just got burned out with it, to be honest. And kind of just took a break, you know, wanted to maybe change something up and 
uh, we kind of went our separate ways, still good buddies and still hang out a bunch. And I left Colby in, I guess it was 2016 and moved down to your kind of stomping grounds, Charleston, South Carolina. You buddy. Um, and really just got out of dogs, to be honest with you. Had my personal dogs. I had Willow. And during the time when I was working for Colby, we had bred Willow. And I kept the puppy out of her named Mackie, which you know of and you've probably seen running. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I took those two knuckleheads down to Charleston. And to be honest with you, Bob, I, you know, I, I remember telling my dad, he said, you know, what, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? I said, I really don't know if I'm going to get back in dogs. I was just, man, I was just burned out and ready for something different. And I took Mackie down there and Willow and, you know, just kind of hung out for a month or two. I called it my early retirement. I remember going hang, going and hanging out with people, and they're like, well, so what do you do for a living? I was like, oh, I'm retired. You know, took an early retirement is what I call it, and hung out for a month or two, enjoyed myself, went fishing a bunch, uh, still trained every day. Uh, I never never stopped training with them, and just kind of I started working down there at a golf course. After about a month or two there, started working at a tackle shop, which I'll, I'll get back into in a minute. And like I said, I was training every single day. And people down there that I knew were like, hey, let, you know, uh, let's get together and train. And I trained with them. The, the roommates I had at the time, they both had dogs. And so I kind of got out of dog training, but I didn't. You know what I mean? I, I stayed doing it uh, while I was down there, but just helping people out and, and working my own dogs. And I kind of knew pretty quick, like, okay, I really can't just get out of dogs. Like, I do love this. This is something I want to do. Yeah. I'm passionate about it. Um, no matter what I may feel, I'm still doing it every day. Right. Um, right. And that, and that was kind of my deal. You know, I worked, I worked a full time job down there at a, at a golf course down in Charleston. And after a month, I think we had a big hurricane come through and they kind of just let everyone off for a month or two where all that was going on. And kind of a funny story. Um, you know, Robert Garmy, don't you? Yeah. Yep. Down in, okay. So Robert, I knew Robert, I don't know how I met him, maybe through Colby or so, someone down there. I'd met Robert and he had told me about this tackle shop that, you know, just, you know, he said, man, go, go put an uh, application in and see what, see what they'll do for you. And I, Bob, I remember filling out this application and it, it said, you know, what do you want to get paid? Attach your resume. And I, you know, I've worked pretty much since I was 15. Yeah, I worked all through college, worked for Colby, got out of, you know, got out of that and then moved down to Charleston, number of different jobs and applied at this tackle shop, knew hardly anything about offshore fishing or really that much inshore fishing. But I did a bunch of fishing growing up, you know, freshwater. So anyways, long story short, the guy from the tackle shop, Mike Abel, he called me and he said, hey, Oliver, you know, read your resume. would love to have you come in. So I walked in, talked to him. And, and this is probably what, this is probably the turning point for me that said, hey, you know, you really need to do what you want to do for the rest of your life. So I walked in there and we went through my resume. He said, man, you know, you've got all the credentials. Uh, you've got all the contacts. I've called your references you know, kind of when do you want to start? But he said, the one thing I don't get, he said, is why did you put down what you put down to get paid per hour or whatever the salary was? And I said, well, you know, it's a tackle shop. I mean, how, I mean, how much can you, can you get paid at a tackle shop? And so, and it was a low number, I think I put well, well below what I would probably would hope to get paid having a, you know, bachelor's degree. And um, he said, Oliver, he said, look, I don't want to start off on the wrong foot. He said, you tell me what you want to get paid what you think you're worth, he said, and we'll go from there. And Bob, man, that, that moment when he asked me what I wanted to get paid and what my worth was, was probably 
the time where I, that was the first time that one, anyone's ever asked me that. And I've, you know, I've worked numerous jobs before that. And that really kind of said, you know what, one, this is a good family to work for, but two, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? You know, what do I really, you know, want to spend my day, day in and day out? And so long story short, I worked there for probably 10, 12 months, saved up some money. For four and, bucks an hour, because that's all you're worth. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe two if I was lucky. Um, but no, they, they took care of me. I'm and teasing, uh, they made yeah. it worth it. I, I know, I know. They, uh, they made it worth my while. But during that time, you know, we'd have guys come into the tackle store. We sold shotguns, we sold duck hunting. And that was always, you know, when someone would come in asking a question about bumpers or dog baths or waterfowl stuff, you know, I was the go-to guy. And so talking to those people and giving them dog tips and stuff like that and, you know, going to Seawee. I was down at Seawee, which I think you, you've been to that, haven't you? Oh, yeah. And so I was, you know, I remember going down to Seawee and walking Willow around. And actually, we used to did like a little single tea demonstration for them down there. And I just realized pretty quick, like, hey, I'm not getting out of this like I thought I wanted to. And um, so I worked down there for, for 10 months at the tackle shop. And I had a childhood friend when we first moved to America that I pretty much, I still keep in touch with to this day. And I went to visit him for a weekend. And he had probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 acres in a little town called Warrington, Georgia, which is kind of cool. You know, I was born in Warrington and he lived in Warrington, Georgia. And so I went up there for the weekend and he said, I'll be, you know, what are you, you going to do, man? He's like, you're down in Charleston, just kind of living a bachelor life. Yeah. You know, you had a I still don't fun. see the problem here. I know. That, and that's kind of my thing. And he said, you know, what are you doing down there? And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of working and saving some money and fishing every day when I didn't have to work. I mean, what, what more do you want to do? And, um, he said, well, look, he said, look, man, I've got all this land, plenty of land around. He said, why don't you, if, if, if you want to get back into dog training, cause I think I had mentioned it to him that, Hey, maybe you want to get back into dog training. I don't know, throwing around the idea. And he said, if you want to get back into dog training, he said, why don't, why don't you come up here, move in with me? He had just got divorced and you know, he's like, man, come live with me, come hang out. And you know, we got place for your kennel and. I said, you know, I kind of thought about it and I called him up and probably, I don't know, a month later. And I said, Hey man, how serious were you about me moving up? And he said, when do you want to come up? So long story short, we moved up there and started foundation retrievers. And, you know, kind of what I was doing is every weekend, probably for the last three months that I was down in Charleston, every weekend when I was off, I'd go up there, uh, going back to, I guess my high school days, I wrestled in high school and my coaches, were still or are still a big influence in my life and one of my coaches Trey he uh he was kind of like my dad growing up uh he was you know he was always there for me every match took care of me outside of school and he he owned a or worked for a construction company at the time and and he said hey you know what do you want what do you need to start this kennel and I said man I, you know 10 kennels you know slab 10 kennels and a roof and some water and I said th- I think we can at least start and so he came, came down to Georgia, helped me pour the slab, uh, helped me erect the kennel, pretty much just helped me do everything. I, I say helped me, I helped him. I just stood there with a tape measure, you know, and just kind of told him what to do and how I wanted it. And so I guess that was 2017, maybe. Uh, we moved up to, to Warrington, Georgia, started Foundation Retrievers. And just kind of just started out doing obedience and gun dogs. And, and like I said, I had ran some hunt test stuff. Um, I remember leaving Charleston with a U-Haul trailer and I had two or three dogs from families I knew down in Charleston. 
in in my in my pickup truck and my personal dogs and that's what we started with man Good it for was you. you know it was it was start small and dollar and a dream just, buddy yep dollar and a dream and and just like you you know start out with a little and every month we, we just prayed and hoped that we'd get better and better as far as the number of dogs we had and i think i built 10 kennels starting out and my plan was not to stay in georgia for too long but you know that's it was it was a feasible option we had plenty of property around us so i moved up there and started with two or three dogs got some obedience clients got some gun dogs and some of those gun dogs turned into competition dogs and four dogs turned into six dogs and six turned into ten and before you know it uh probably about i don't know 10 12 months into it i was 10 or 10 or 12 dogs and it's like okay we're kind of outgrowing what what we are right now and obviously warrington was not home for me we were running hunt tests with probably, I don't know, maybe half of our dogs. And, um, at the time, uh, I was looking for some land and my brother-in-law and sister were looking for kind of their forever home and maybe a little bit of property. Um, and so we kind of all went in and looked around for some property and we found the big metropolis of Buffalo, South Carolina, which you've been to. Yes, sir. Um, not much going on here, but. We found this piece of property with a house, and I think we've got probably 70, 70 plus acres, uh, a lot of pasture, a lot of woodlands, a lot of swamps and ponds, and we kind of just made the move. They they were a big, obviously a big help for me and, and helped me establish here, and I've, I've been living with them for the last few years, just trying to get things going, and hopefully we'll be building a house soon um, on their property, but we kind of all just went in on this place, and Man, that's really when things kind of took off, to be honest with you. Um, we, we moved up here. I think we had probably 15 dogs when we moved up here. Built a 20-run kennel. Uh, and my goal has always been to stay small. Uh, I didn't want to get into the mass 40 to 60 dog kennels. Uh, you know, maybe talk to me in five years and see how that goes or how it went. But right now, you know, we're just trying to stay fairly small. It's myself. Uh, I've got a few college kids that work for me that are big listeners. Um, and big then I've got an older sweat. gentleman, big sweat. Yeah. Big, big sweat. sweat. He'll, he'll be listening to this later in the week and be calling you. Um, you better not call but me. Don't call me big sweat. Don't call him. But, uh, <laughs> we got some real, and you know, what's funny is big sweat, Andrew Floyd, he actually bought a willow puppy from me when I worked for Colby. No way. Um, yeah. So that's a small world. So when I moved up here, I called Andrew's dad and said, or Andrew's brother and said, Hey man, I need, I need someone to help me out. I'm just training by myself. I just need someone to throw birds. Uh, and so he put me in touch with a few guys and they came out when we first moved in. And that's, you know, kind of what got us going. We, like I said, we built a little 20 run kennel, big Aaron yard and man, we just put everything behind us and, and went forward. Um, and now we've got, I don't know, probably 20 to 25 dogs still. Uh, I'd probably say 60 to 70. 70% of them are competition dogs or, you know, dogs that are here for handling. Uh, I've got another gentleman that works for me full time now, and he's, um, he's been a big asset. Uh, and I've only, he's only been with us probably since January. And that's probably, that's been the biggest thing that I've done is, is hire someone full time. And, and that's taken a huge weight off my shoulders as I think you're probably in the same boat as well. You know, you can only work so hard by yourself for so long. You, you've got to have a little bit of help. And Mr. Chris, uh, you've heard me talk about on our Marco Polo group. He's been a big help and, and he helps me throw birds, clean kennels. Man, he is a jack of all trades. I've, I've kind of been teaching him how to do some young dogs, some gun dogs, obedience. So he's been a huge help. 
and you know, pretty much, man, the rest is history. We've been running, we run a lot of hunt sets. We've been running a lot of HRC and just started kind of running back in the masters circuit now. Um, we're gearing up. We've been gearing up for the, we've got the grand coming up in, a, in a, probably about a month. Um, no way. You going? yeah, yeah, I'm going to go. I've got, I think we've got four dogs that are going to go. Nice. Um, who's going? I've actually got, I've got Cat, uh, Cash going. Um, he's a big chocolate lab. He's probably three. And Mackie, who you know, Mackie's my personal dog. He's yep. five. Uh, we've got a young dog named Deuce, who's she just turned two. She's a little bit young. I'm still on the bubble if we want to run her or not, but she's she's very mature for her age. Um, she's done really well through the finish test. Uh, she's got good line manners. Uh, and then we've got another dog named Fritz, who he's got his HRCH Master Hunter. He's three years old. He's a little bit more of a handful. He's calm at the line, but you've got to be quick on your whistle. Um, he's a lot of dogs. And, uh, so I, I think that's what we're going to go with. We got to make some decisions pretty soon. I think the entries close in a few weeks, but man, really the rest is history. Just running master tests. We've had, we've had some really good success. We've got a lot of young dogs coming up. I, I call this probably our transition year where, you know, like I said, we only keep 20, 20 or so dogs. So we don't have a huge truck of master dogs or really a huge truck of starter dogs. We got a, a lot of kind of intermediate transition dogs that are, kind of graduating from season and senior and getting ready to run finish and master. And, you know, man, that's pretty much it for, for what we've been doing. Um, yeah. So, so, so just man, so it's, everybody it's, knows, Oliver said he was going to do a quick bio. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get on a tangent and you get going and I missed out some stuff. I'm sure. Um, Dude, you, you did a great job. So the, oh man, that was awesome. I, I mean, I, I don't even know where to go now. I felt like we didn't even talk about how you're from England. Right. That's cool. That's not, right. you know, not very common. And so I, I wondered if you had a favorite tea that you like to drink. Yes. So my grandmother, I call her my nana. Uh, there's a little bit of a British accent for you. She still sends over to my mom or my mom. Tetley Tea is a brand, and on occasion, my mom will bring Tetley Tea over to the house, and actually, believe it or not, last week, I think I sat down on the back porch one morning and I had a first cup of tea in a long time, but I still drink it. Uh, you put a tea bag in hot water and a little bit of milk, and people think that's disgusting, but I love it. That's what I was raised on. That's what I grew up on. Um, all through high school, I drank it, and you know, now tea has changed to coffee. That's because hilarious. I've got to be up every morning at five thirty. <laughs> that's right. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> now you come to Lone Dust Chateau, and I'll give you a different tea bag. But that's a whole another podcast. There buddy. you go. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. Probably we got to go. We got to put an E now on our podcast. Explicit. There you go. Um, but dude, I I love your story, and it's so similar to mine. Um, and that that's what drew me to you. I'll give my, I won't go 30 minutes in my Oliver uh, bio, but I was given a number to call a kid from Clemson University. And I, and everybody knows Lone Duck was a t-shirt and hat company back in the day. And boy, if I sponsored this club of young kids, they would spread my seed of Lone Duck around the frats of Clemson and, you know, become another southern marsh and you know what was um give me another 
Marsh is a great example. Yeah, Southern, Southern Tide. Southern, Southern Tide. Oh, yeah. yeah. All that stuff. What? Uh, dang, I'm literally drawing a blank. Over See under. That. Oh, yeah. Over yeah, under, under. Yeah. yeah. Like, and by the way, that guy who owns that company, I wouldn't say good friend, good acquaintance. Yeah. Super nice guy. Good dude. Class act. But I was like, that's what we wanted to become, right? And then I was, things evolve and change, but I'm like, all right, if I get in with these Clemson kids. Well, that's, things also didn't work. Yeah, no, no, no. We didn't sell millions of dollars in hats and T-shirts. If, like it's, they if do. it's any consolation album. prize, any consolation prize, Bob, I've still got the Lone Duck sticker on my first shotgun I had when I was at Clemson, and it's now a training shotgun. It's got a Lone Duck sticker, a black one on it. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So I call this kid up. I mean, and again, I'm still a kid. We're, for, you know, to, yeah, we were young. Own. Yeah, we were young. Still so young. I'm probably 24 and I'm talking to a 20 year old kid in college. Like I had all these dreams and I, I wanted to share them with Clemson and I wanted to bring these guys up and I wanted to introduce them to the pros that I knew down South. And I wanted to wear loan duck gear doing everything they needed. You know, I had deals on bumpers if they needed them. I had everything. And I call this guy up and it's Oliver and I'm like, enjoyed our conversation thoroughly i mean just a nice young guy in college and then i'm thinking man i really miss college <laughs> you know maybe i can go to clemson and hang out for a weekend <laughs> hand out some t-shirts on some parties yeah sorority girls i'm thinking this is the greatest thing and this is the greatest idea i've ever had i'm gonna go to clemson party hang out with college girls and train a dog you know the next day well, long story short, on that end is we didn't do jack and just but kind of remain in contact. And I remember we were at oh, what's the place next to Cooper Black, bud? That's the shooting preserve, pheasant preserve. Maury's. Maury's. So we're at Maury's at an HRC test. I'm hanging out with Joe Overby and Blaine and all these guys. And I finally, finally got to meet you. And I'm like, dang, that's Oliver. A, first thing I thought of was he's got to be a wrestler. Right. You, you can pick those suckers out walking around. And B, how young you, you know, like we were young. Like yeah, we were young and you did a great job and you got your ribbons and you were professional and you were clean cut and you handled yourself well. And um, as big a meathead as I am and can be, I do the same thing. I shake hands. I look people in the eye. And I noticed that about you. And I, I thought very highly of it. So from the moment I met you, I knew two things. One, you were respectful and trust, like just a good dude. Let's just put it there. Good dude. And I knew you wrestled. Right. You can tell people wrestle by how they carry themselves. Did he kick your ass? No, he still hasn't stepped up to the plate. We haven't had that match yet. Yeah. No. Listen, everybody, I'm not a wrestler, but I've dabbled. I've dabbled. You, There's some St. Bonaventure University rugby players that are in their, in their heyday, and old Uncle Bob comes in, banged up after the bar, and I promise you, I still put a hurting on him. Just saying. Oliver, just, just saying. Please. He may or may not be a South Carolina State champion. Well, are that's kind of cool. I am. I yeah. am. 
Yeah, for one fifteen. Yeah, probably low. It was one oh three actually, Bob. <laughs> I lost a lot of weight my senior year to win state. Damn, son. Yeah. It's definitely not I'm, healthy. And I'm still a little no. guy. I'm still a little guy. Nah. I figured, I'm just, I figured that's how you're gonna pick me out, being the shortest guy. No, 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 no. But I do think we would have a hilarious Instagram live foundation <laughs> retrievers versus lone duck, duck wrestling match in like a a horse arena with cow pie all around the outer edge. And if you get smacked into the into the cow pies, you you lose or some shit. We'll have a or, good time. Or we could do it on an island on the pterodactyl pit pond. Oh, that would be that would be what we need to do. There you go. Done. Sign sealed delivered. I'm yours, buddy. We're going to Blaine Tarnecki, the pterodactyls, new tech pond. We're going to swim out to an island and we're going to film it. And it's going to be for the whole world to see. This is what grown men do, everybody. Yeah, I'll start practicing again. Yeah, me too. Everybody wants to be a dog. Yeah. <laughs> if you're what an you MMA do? specialist, well, uh, uh, please contact me because <laughs> I need to win this sucker. All right, Oliver. Listen, everybody, that was that was. Good stuff. Let's get into training, bud. Absolutely. So me and you and Blaine are on this thing called Marco Polo. It's the old man edition of Snapchat. And today I had a little rant and I hope my clients listen, but take it with a grain of salt because I love them and I appreciate them. But I've had a few people and these are two segments that I want to touch on. And I'm not pointing fingers because it's it's life. It, and this is why we have a job, because it's not always easy. But I want to touch on breaking dogs who have been trained, who who go hunting and break. And then I want to touch on building retrieve drive. Because a buddy of mine bought a puppy from me from that Sam and Ryder litter. You know, HRCH, HRCH, Master Hunter, like bad to the bone. And he's like, man, you know, I love her, but she's not really retrieving yet. Now, granted, she's three and a half months old, but that sucker came out trying to retrieve a breast. So, you know, I guarantee you she can retrieve. That's one thing I can guarantee. So we need it. But then he sent me a video and I'm like, I picked up on three things. Bang, bang, bang. That he wasn't doing right enough. Like he wasn't wrong, but he wasn't right enough. And so I want to touch on building retrieve drive and getting, getting dogs to have that light switch flip where it's fun. I want to touch on breaking in a real hunting scenario. Cause during training, we all know they don't do it. in when we train, but boy, when we hunt, they do it. And then we can dabble into some other things, um, that we mentioned, you know, before the show. So why don't you tackle breaking in hunting and, okay. and dogs first hunts. Oh, dove right. season. So, Don't forget dove, dove season. season. But but let's so, not touch dove season yet because that's a okay. that's a different animal and I wanna I wanna nuance it, but like early goose, duck, whatever, just okay. just take it straight hunting. So bud. this past weekend was our first Saturday we could hunt for early goose. Okay. We have we have a field down the road that we last year we you know, we did pretty good early season. We've been seeing some geese. Uh, a buddy of mine from college that lives uh, around the area. He's had a young dog, and we, I didn't personally train it, but he would come and work with me on the you know weekdays and stuff with it. And we were hunting, and I said, "Hey man, let's you know 
you'll spring your dog, I don't know if you'll pick up a goose, I don't know if they'll do this. So, but look, there's no harm in taking it. Um, we, did, we only had three or four shooters. We didn't think it was going to be just a, you know, stack them up kind of shoot. And so I took my screw in or hammer in stake with a little, you know, three foot, four foot check cord on it and told him, I said, look, will he get in the blind? He said, yeah, absolutely. We work out of the Momarks all the time. And I said, okay, let's, so what we did with him for opening day of goose season, we were hunting out a layout. We put the stake probably two feet behind the blind, hammered it in the ground and ran it through the rear of the Momarch and hooked it to his collar. So if he went anywhere, it was behind us, away from where the guns were shooting. Um, and that way, if we jumped up, we had to be close and he went forward, he could only go pretty much where his head could see out of the blind. Um, and that's, man, that's what I tell every client. I don't care how long your dog's doing. If they're filming me for four months, eight months, two years, the first hunt they go on, tie them out. And a lot of people will say, yeah, we'll do it. And they don't do it. And then the dog breaks. Um, and the reason I tell them to tie it out is not because I anticipate the dog breaking, but it stops any bad habits or any questions on, is that dog going to break? Even with Mackie, who's a master hunter, hunter retriever champion, when we went to Arkansas last year, we had a bunch of guys goose hunting. I tied him out just for the safety of the dog and just so he knew from the start he could not break. So long story short, we had a group of geese come in. They kind of didn't really do it right. We all popped up. We shot. The dog didn't move. And the dog was still. We let the dog out. He went out there. Typical first goose. Wouldn't pick up a goose. It was still kind of alive, played with him, didn't really make any progress with it. And the guy said, what do I need to do? I said, you know, look, we're hunting. You're not, we can train, but you're not going to put any pressure on the dog and say fetch me. It's going to fix it right here. So we just played around with the dog in between volleys and finally we got him retrieving. Um, and when the dog came back, I think we had two groups come in and we tied him out for, for every, kind of every retrieve after that. And so that, that's always been my recommendation to clients is, no matter what you're doing, if you're early teal, early goose, dove, whatever it is, if you have the opportunity to tie them out and they're breaking or tie them, say, for example, you don't tie them out and they're breaking, well, you know, put your ego back, take your ego back home. There's no harm in putting a leash on them. There's no harm in tying them out to a tie-out stake. Uh, that way they can't move. Um, and so that's what we did with his dog, and it worked out for his dog. His dog never even tried to break least that we can see and so normally what i tell people is if your dog's doing good on the first few volleys untie them and see how it goes you know some dogs you can you know can use the collar correction you know they, they break no here um one big thing i always hear is you know my dog was breaking my dog was breaking my dog was breaking well were you hunting or were you watching your dog because a lot of times i've never shot a bird at the same time as watching my dog um other than an hrc test so you kind of have to pick one or two or the other if, if you're if you're focused on a dog that's breaking. You need to pay attention to your dog. Um, you're either going to correct it with a collar or stop them on a whistle and call them back or tie them out and be done with it. Right. So one thing, one thing that I want to touch on is there's different excitement levels when they're when a dog is new to I, I, new to hunting can still be like two or three years old. Right. They're still fired up. But let's say there's there's uh, let's say three different kinds and there's more. But the first kind would be goose hunting in a ground blind or a pit. And you're calling these geese 
And let's, let's everybody close our eyes and imagine a goose hunt. You're calling. Honk, 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 And you're freaking calling for minutes. And these geese come over the treetops half a mile away, quarter mile away, 300 yards away, 200 yards away. 100 yards away, now they circle you, circle you, circle you, circle you, circle you, and you're going honk, 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 And that dog, for the last five minutes, has been going, come on, baby, come on, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, come on, shoot him. And then you yell, take him, and flip out of this coffin and go, bow, 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 Shoot him on the ground. Bow. You want me to sit still? I mean, seriously. Yep. It is the most exciting, long, drawn out anticipation of the greatest thing in their life that they got to go through. Now let's go duck hunting. They're sitting on a dog stand, sitting in a blind, sitting on a stump, sitting next to you on an island, whatever. Oh, cow. You know, holy crap, Kevin, there's a duck. Pow. And it splashes, uh, Buck. You know, like the anticipation is more long and drawn out because he might have to sit there for a half an hour, and then all of a sudden a duck comes, and you might call it one for thirty seconds or a minute, and then they fly away or they start circling and come in. But that that duck versus goose hunt is like they can see them. They can see that flock flipping and flopping right. in the sky. They can see them coming over the treetops from however far away, and you're. The, the, they are not stupid. The anticipation plus, I feel like sometimes in that ground blind, they're just ready to get out of it. So it almost is more and, and, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, not anticipation, but enticing, enticing is a word. It's more enticing to break because they just want to see everything fall. They want to bust out of this thing and see the world as it falls around them and they get to go retrieve it. And so now, you know, it's their first or second year hunting, not even first or second hunt, first or second year hunting. And that sucker loves it. And it's just hard. So the third kind of hunt would be dove hunting, which I think is hard as well for steadiness. And this is a a segment I want you to tackle because you're the Southern guy, you know, if so facto from England, but yep, so. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But let's 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 paint the picture of a dove hunt. So we got a dog in a, a dog stand. Me and you are drinking bush lights, sitting next to each other, you know, dove hunting. Because I feel like that's a thing. I may not be on, been on a dove hunt or not, but I'm just saying that stuff it's happens. A it's a thing. It's hot out. Now there's no duck calling. There's no goose calling. All of a sudden... Me and you stand up and rip some little mouse-sized bat out of the sky called a dove, and it falls 40 yards away, and they're supposed to mark that. And then, mind you, a lot of these things are Southern tradition. So me and you hunt together, but then there's 30 other dudes surrounding this sunflower, cornfield, millet, sorghum field, and you're hearing 50 yards away, boom, boom. And then 80 yards away across a field, boom, boom. 
and then 90 yards away at your right, boom, boom. And then your neighbor right down the you know corner, boom, boom. And so the dog has been used to and conditioned to hearing a gunshot, a bird falls out of the sky, they mark it, go and get it. That's what we do. It's quack, 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 bang, throw a duck. That's how they've been trained. So now you enter a dove field and they hear boom, 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 boom. And they see some doves fall. They see no doves fall. They're getting that anticipation building. They're getting antsy because they don't see things going on, but they're hearing gunshots everywhere and they know gunshots equal retrieving. And then all of a sudden me and you stand up and bang, we roll one and it's this little dinker of a bird that falls 40 yards away. So it's a really weird scenario too. So I want everybody to just like, I want you to paint that picture, right? I want to, I want you to envision what I just described. Your goose hunt, your duck hunt, and your dove hunt with a young dog. And now, Oliver, you had dove opener in South Kekalake. Tell everybody you took young dogs. Tell everybody what happened, the good, the bad, the ugly, how you worked through it, and uh, some of the things you've seen, you know, in your many dove seasons that that you want to, you know, share with everybody. Right. Well, you you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head with there's a lot more going on for shooting in the field. So we went Saturday was our dove opener. We can start at noon. It's typically hot this time of year. Luckily, we had a little bit of a, I'll call it cold front for South Carolina. Uh, we had a it was 60 degrees that morning. I think the high was 84. I typically don't hunt a dog opening day just because it's so hot. But I got invited by a client of a dog we did the gun dog program with. Four months of training, just basic, you know, started level, pick up a bird, come back with it, uh, force that deal. So we hunted with his dog. I kind of worked it. He worked it as well. And, you know, I think I told him, I said, man, you know, this is going to be a learning experience. So we went out there. I think it was three of us shooting. The dog was sitting down. Luckily, his field was, he had pretty much dissed up his whole field. There wasn't a lot of cover for the dog to have to go through, um, which is normally early season. You have a lot of cover, a lot of corn still standing, which just creates so much walls and barriers for dogs to go through. Right. And so it was a good opportunity for the dog to see birds fall, have a fairly easy retrieve. And so I'll be honest, you know, we just played it by ear. We went out there, we tried to see what she did. I'd say the first, sick bird she had no clue what was going on she didn't freak out she was just sitting there kind of just hanging out like we're hanging out at the house i'm not going to get excited about everything she knew what the, the shots meant she was kind of looking around um and, and her owner was kind of getting a little nervous like man you know how do we get her to look and i said well just you know we said watch a few times she kind of looked out there and i said we just need to get a few birds that come perfectly in front of her and i call it just kind of like helicopter down uh, you shoot them and they stay exactly where they are and they just fall straight down and they take the time. And we shot one. It was probably about the 10th bird and she was sitting there. She was steady. She watched it. Boom. Light switch went off. And, you know, prior to that, she was just laying there. I mean, you know, you're almost like, Hey, come on, let's get a little bit excited about this here. But again, it's her first hunt. She doesn't know what's going on. So she finally saw the first bird fall. She saw it. Her name was Nellie. We sent her out. She ran out there, probably 20 yards, maybe, Bob. She picked it up, delivered the hand like she was supposed to, sat down. And then after that, man, that dog never once laid down. She was sitting beside her owner. And now we got to worry about breaking. And, and now we got to worry about breaking. Out. 
teeth. And it, and it was just a switch. And I've hunted with dogs that it took five months to really figure out what's going on. Because not everyone has a really good field that you're going to shoot a bunch of birds at. You know, if you're at a field where it's kind of slow, well, your dog, you know, your dog's not seeing a bunch of birds except for, like you said earlier, they're sitting there for 45 minutes and all of a sudden, boom, 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 you shoot a bird. The dog's, you know, the dog's not paying attention. Uh, luckily for this dog, we, we had a good opener shoot. She watched after that one bird fall. She was really paying attention. She kind of started to stand up instead of sitting down. Um, and so I told her and I said, Hey, let me, you know, let me get her at heel. You shoot. I put my gun down. I kind of just held her there. She, um, had a little steady tab on her and we, we shot probably four or five more birds that were, you know, just perfect for her straight in front of her. They weren't shooting over the side of me where she had to look around me. And I think she probably got, you know, 10 or 15 more retrieves that day. Now, I'll be honest with you. There was one bird that, I mean, it was probably 60, 70 yards away. She watched it from the time it came in the field to the time it shot. She wasn't like the, you know, as soon as we shot it broke, she was standing up, looking at the bird like, hey, say my name. I'm going to get it. And he was like, do we need to make her sit? I said, hey, just say her name. Just let it slide one time. She went out there. She picked it up. After that, we kind of kept went back to that training standard. Right. With her, she's a very kind of soft dog, not just 100 miles an hour. So we didn't really use any collar pressure with her. We just right. kind of just used our voice. Uh, had a steady tab on her. and working. You were working work, her, right? Yeah, working you her through it. And, her. And, you, know, you made her be exactly. successful. Let her, you know, let her get away with a little bit of stuff as far as, like I said, not sitting down perfectly. But, hey, you know, we also started the hunt with a dog that was laying down. Right. You know, so that was the first experience on Saturday. After that, she figured it out. Can um, I stop you for one second? Absolutely. All right. So I had a client. I trained his dog. That sucker ate 13 of 15 doves on his first dove hunt. You ever heard of that? I have. Yeah, me too. Now it this, happens. And they won't, they won't eat a duck at all, but they'll eat a dove. So doves are like little mini morsels. They are Yeah, they're a little snacky, little Scooby snack. And so this dog was forest fetched, marking machine, high drive, bad to the bone dog. And he texted me after opening day. He goes, man, he marked every bird. He did this, that, and the other thing. But damn, he ate 13 of my 15 man limit. I go, didn't you think to stop after three? <laughs> I mean, he, he pooped feathers for a week, but. That's very common. So they are snack size. They are all those little feathers come out of them really easily. And so it is kind of common for a dog to just gulp one down or chew on them more than they would a duck. And you've trained, you know, hypothetically, you have trained with ducks a ton and pheasants and this and that. And you, you've gotten your dog. My dog's great on birds and he's force fetch. He's this and that. And then he sees a dove and it's like, that son of a gun ate it. It's just a different animal. It's a different bird. And and so it's common, not acceptable, but it's common. And I've seen as well, it's normally the hard charging dogs that'll oh, do that. Yeah. Um that sucker, little, that sucker will be like fourteen years old and still hard charging. So little snippet here, I won't go on a tangent on it. So today we've got a dust field right behind the kennel. Um, I've got a dog going home next weekend. Uh he's headed to North Dakota at the end of the month. And I said, Hey, I'm gonna take this dog. Try to shoot him one or two birds. The owner's coming this Sunday for a dove hunt. And we shot a bird. I just said, I'm going to shoot one bird, pick it up, take him back to the kennel. 
You know what he did the first bird? Ate it. Mouthed the heck out. No, I didn't eat it, but he mouthed the heck out of it. Oh, all right. Um, you know, first bird he's at, first he's picked up a dove, but it's been frozen. Right. Uh, first, you know, fresh kill, hot, warm body, picked it up, mouthing it. And when he came back into heel, I just, you know, typical sit, no. And what I did after that was I sat, and again, this is just me and him by myself in our field. I sat him down. I walked out there like it was a hand throwing a mark. I threw him a mark. He picked it up and just a little on a low one here, Nick, here, never happened again. We did it three or four more times. Never once mouthed it. Ran a few blinds. I put some blind, you know, walked out there, put the bird out, walked back to him, ran a few blinds with him. Um, and with him, it was just a simple, Hey, bud, this is the same thing as a duck or a bumper. You've mm-hmm. just got to hold it and not mouth it. And luckily it, it wasn't a big deal where with some dogs, it's, it's an ongoing battle. Right. So, so one thing I want to touch on training wise is every hunt you go on, we're supposed to be having fun. That's great. But that doesn't mean our level, our standard has to slip. That doesn't mean that the dog can chomp birds. That doesn't mean that the dog can run around willy-nilly. That doesn't mean we allow breaking. So if I'm going to get up a dog's butt for breaking in training, but then come a hunt, I let it slide. Or my correction, like the the guy, I'm going to use him as an example, and I love him to death, and I love his dog. His dog's the man. But he's like, man, I did a here, Nick, here, and I did a sit, Nick, sit, and I did a kennel, Nick, kennel. And I think to myself, I'm like, man, I know this dog. A here, Nick, here, and a sit, Nick, sit is like giving him a cookie and ice cream. He could care less when a live flippy floppy duck or goose is in front of his face does that make sense like if you got a live bird flopping in front of him you can hear nick hear him all the way to timbuktu and he's gonna say thank you sir may i have another let me get that goose right and so my now i'm saying this uh, with every dog is different and i'm not giving people permission to lose their patience because patience is key, but your correction has to meet, like if the punishment doesn't fit the crime, if it's too light, then that criminal is going to do it again. You know, speeding tickets are 50 bucks. People keep speeding. If speeding tickets were hanging in the town square, I bet you people would stop speeding. So your correction, when a dog breaks in your hunting scenario, depending on the dog's personality and this dog probably needs more than average correction and then like he did he did all the right things he denied the dog retrieve he put him back in the you know ground blind and walked down picked up the goose he moved further away and let his buddy shoot he did all the right things but i would err on the side that his corrections were too gentle which sucks to say like hey man you know up up it you know it it was too easy on him that it didn't get the point across that hey bud this is unacceptable he can't do do it and and then i mean he had him tied out so i mean and again great dude great dog extremely talented dog like future master hunter can you know master national contender like this dog has everything you ever wanted but when it comes to watching geese come from a half mile away and land in the spread, he can't contain can't it. it. Right. You, you know, it, it is what it is. But I think 
you know, the punishment has to fit the crime when it comes to breaking and your correction has to be memorable. So the next time the geese come from a half a mile away and I'm talking to them, sit, sit down, kennel, sit down, sit, 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 boom, Memphis. You know what I mean? Like I'm working them the entire time. Even if I'm calling, I pull the call from my mouth, sit, honk, 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 sit down, honk, 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 sit, sit, honk, honk, sit, kill him. And so my, I've said it on the last podcast, I think, but our job as handlers, you know, we brought the dog. It's our responsibility to be the dog guy or gal, and our buddies are there to have fun and kill birds. My second responsibility is to kill birds. So my first responsibility is to make sure that my dog is doing okay, having fun, but doing okay and being obedient and doing their job. And we've got to help them be successful. So guys, when you're out duck hunting, dove hunting, goose hunting, it's our job to make them successful. The punishment must fit the crime. You don't read the situation. You know, it's, it's normal training stuff. If, if my leash correction on heel is a good medium pop on the leash and they don't keep healing, you know, then you increase that pop on the leash. It's the same idea. If your here, neck here doesn't get the point across on breaking, then we've got to up that correction. We've got to figure something else out. Maybe we've got to move to physical correction. Maybe we've got to move to increasing the distance from the distraction like like my buddy did you know the client he moved further away from the shooters he got a little further away knock a few birds out and he had a little more success so long story short dogs don't you like you can pay me and oliver and the pterodactyl cacao all the money you want we can train your dog then we've got to train you and then you have to put these things in the practice come to the field and it's so, it, it, even though they've done it a million times, like that dog that I'm talking about, that sucker doesn't break. That sucker is so steady and rock solid. You can sh- do anything in training. But I understand why his enthusiasm gets the better of him when geese are low and slow coming in and he just can't contain himself. So you've got to have, you also have to have, what's the word, uh, expectations, like, I, I hate right. to say it, but like low expectations, like absolutely don't, don't let it ruin your hunt that he broke. You know, what are the highlights? Like did he break every bird? No, he broke three times. Okay. Hey, you know what? So did Memphis, you know, she's a master national, you know, plate haver and she broke three times. Well, did it tick me off? Sure. Did I make a correction? Sure. Did I fix it? Sure. And then the rest of the hunt was phenomenal because she stomped a big old blind and, you know, chased down a cripple and tackled it. And we had a blast. So don't let it ruin your hunt. Make your corrections. Make your corrections count so they're memorable to the dog. If the dog, A, understands. Like, these are all, man, every time, now that I'm saying it's like some people take their dogs out and they're not ready for it. So for right. you to correct your dog and get up, up their butt and they don't understand what's going on, that's to me the owner's fault because they took a dog who's not properly trained. I'm using this example as dogs who've been there, done that and make a mistake. 
your young dogs, like Oliver's dove hunt example, if he crawled up that dog's butt for lifting its butt off of the ground on the dog stand and standing <laughs> up versus, you know, going or whatever, that dog may never want to pick up a dove again. So you've got to know your dog. You've got to know the correction and maybe just a firm no sit would fix the problem right then and there. But I know the dog I'm talking about and a firm no sit. He's thinking, hey, did, work. did you say my name? Did sit mean go? He's just ready to roll. So you got to know your dog and you got to finesse the situation. Dog training isn't black and white. And it's not me and Oliver sitting here talking over a bush light, you know, about hunting and, and whatever. It's on the fly. It's teaching. It's finesse. It's. It's so much more. So, all right, Oliver, what you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as like the gentleman you talked about that has his old break. I mean, they could send them back to URI and we can recreate it as best we could in training, but they know they're training. Right. They know, they know what's they know going the on. difference. A sucker isn't going to break. And so Sunday or yeah, Sunday we hunted our field and I had another dog, very similar situation, didn't know what's going on. And I, I just told the owner, I said, look, just let her watch, let her figure it out. We're not sitting there going, watch, mark, all this, you know, we're not doing a bunch of talking. So we're just kind of letting her sit there. You know, they, you've got to put them in front of birds. And that's really, to me, I feel like the only way they're going to learn is just by putting them in front of birds and then figuring out what their problem is. That's right. Um, if it's, if it's breaking, all right, well, we need to correct, we need to focus on that. If it's watching, you got to put them in front of birds so they start to put the picture together. They have to see, a lot of dogs I've hunted with, they've got to see the whole picture from the bird coming in, the bird getting in front of you, the bird getting shot, the bird hitting the ground, you saying their name. And typically it's light switch is flick and then you got a different animal you got to deal with and, and right. do your corrections as, as you need to with those dogs, whether it be breaking or, um, you know, other issues. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Their, their first season is very educational for them. And then the other thing, you know, two that I'll, I'll quickly touch on is we're all on Instagram and Facebook. We all see that guy that we wish we, you know, went on the hunt with where he killed limits and limits and limits and limits and limits. And they've got piles of birds and their gun dog picked up 30 birds in a day, a hundred snow geese in a day. And they, that to every bird a dog picks up is experience. So what is the experience? Is it steadiness? Is it, you know, the first few hunts where they start to learn how to watch the sky and watch where you're looking and where you're swinging your gun? And then you hear the stories of, boy, I didn't even know a duck was coming, but the dog was looking this way. And, you know, sure enough, here comes a duck. Like they start figuring these things out. Well, what happens when they figure them out and they go, right? Like, okay, now we got to adjust this. Now we got to adjust that. And, um, Every bird you kill teaches them something. How do they maneuver a river current? How do they maneuver flooded corn impoundments? So don't, don't just expect that they've been trained or you've trained them and that you can take them anywhere and boom, they just do it. There might be a scenario where you sell a mallard duck across uh, a slough and it lands on top of a beaver dam house you know what i mean like a uh what are they? beaver hut yeah just a hut 
or a muskrat hut. A beaver lodge, Kevin just added. A lodge. You know, that. Uh, first off, that definitely happens. And second of all, when did his, your dog ever swam through a slough and, and climbed up on a beaver dam, hut, house, lodge, and found a duck? Never. But they've got to figure it out because that's where your duck landed. Or how about the duck that dives and grabs onto a piece of grass and the dog has to learn to, you know, go and get it. Like every duck is, or goose or pheasant or chucker or whatever you're hunting is an experience that that dog has to learn how to maneuver the, the landscape and the terrain and the challenges and learn. So kill more birds, hold them accountable, and let's move on. How you like me now, bud? How you like me now? All right. Oliver, give me something else, buddy. I know we, there was one more thing we wanted to touch on today. Uh, how we start puppies. How we start puppies. Yeah, man. Thank you. You want me to go into that? Yeah, dude. So. Building, retrieve, drive, and puppies. Building the foundation. Oh, wow. Here. Look at you name dropping. Hence the name. So, we, just like you, Bob, we typically get dogs at six months old. If someone calls me, I've got a few clients that have called me in the past and said, hey, look. We would like a master hunter or we would like this dog to go as far as we can. We've got a golden retriever right now. The guy called me and said, hey, look, man, you train the mother of this dog. We want this dog to go as far as it potentially can. Let the dog tell us when it can't go any further. Right. At that at, at that phone call, I will say bring them at five months old. Live in the house with us for the first month. Um, they go to the kennel every day. They know after about the first week when they hear that four-wheeler crank to go up to the kennel in the morning. They are already at the kennel door before I get up there. So as far as building retriever desire and how we start our puppies, um, it's probably similar to a lot of guys. We take all the reins off of them. We let them kind of do what they want. We let them run around. A lot of times guys will call me and say, hey, I've got this dog sitting. I've got this dog steady. Uh, I've shot over it. I've done all this stuff. Mm. And I say, well, what are you paying me for? Right. You know, I said, you know, when I tell, when someone says they want a dog, at five months old to come to us, I say, don't do anything other than just your typical sit. Don't let it jump up on you and, and all your stuff in the house. Yeah, get um, it socialized. Get it socialized. Take it everywhere with you. Probably like Buck is with Mac and Will are to me. Those are really obedient dogs, but it's not because we did, you know, two, five, two to three years of obedience. It's because those dogs are with us every day right. and they know what the daily routine is. So that's kind of what we want to do that first month with our puppies is socialize them, get them used to the trailer. Get them used to the kennel, the, the loud noises. You know, one thing that, that, you know, we do a lot of is we don't make dogs steady when they're first, you know, obviously they're five, six months old. Um, we do everything off of a place board. We do all our obedience on a place board. We do all of our marks on a place board. When we're taking a puppy or really even until that second and third month of the gun dog program, I'm barely holding that collar. And as soon as the bird boy throws the mark, I'm sending the dog. Yep, um, me too. We, so we've got, uh, and I'll just use this little golden retriever, Thea, as an example. What's she the dog's name? Thea. Excuse me? She, Thea. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she came to us at five months old. You know, again, took her on the trailer, did everything, uh, get her used to everything. She's going through obedience. But every day that dog goes to the pond. Every day that dog gets a retrieve before or after an obedience session. Right. You know, she'll ride in the truck some days with me. She'll ride on a trailer with me. She'll come down to the house and 
hang out on the couch with me. Just just be a dog, man. Just let her have fun. We're going through force fetch right now with her. She's six and a half months old, I think. She's just finishing up walking fetch. You know, but nothing serious really as far as obedience other than just, you know, we're doing leash obedience and that kind of stuff. Everything's fun. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they try to do too much too soon. Um, I hate when dogs come to me and they're already steady. Yeah, me too. Um, and, I, and, I, and I tell the owner, we're going to break that habit. And, and they normally, when we get to the steadiness point, they pick it back up pretty quick and we don't spend a lot of time. But until they're eight months old, we're letting them go as soon as that bird gets thrown or as soon as that bird hits the ground. And puppies, you know, wings, pigeons, live ducks, we're fortunate enough that we have a swamp right behind our kennel or, or, you know, a hundred yards away that have, we got a bunch of tame mallards in there and man, I'll take a uh, little Thea down there and let her, she'll chase those birds around and she wouldn't even swim before we got it. It never took her in the water. And now, I mean, she's, she knows where the pond is and you've got to be careful when you let her out the kennel because she's run to the pond. Right. And so I think a lot of people just try to be too, too, and you've gone over this in another podcast, too quick, too soon. Let the puppy be a puppy. And don't force it on dogs. If you have a dog that doesn't retrieve, don't go out there four times a day and try to make it retrieve. Right. You know, put, you know, try a little bit, put it up, get it out the next day. We've had a lot of dogs that didn't have a big retrieving desire, but we don't take them out four times a day and try to make them retrieve. We do a few sessions. If they don't like it, okay, we put them up, we get them out the next day. And I guarantee you by the, you know, second or third week, they're like, Hey, I want to go out there and do something. Right. Um, and that's normally when we see that, you know, that, that switch or with a live bird will sometimes do that. So I, so I've got another example and God love him. He, uh, he's a buddy of ours, bought a, an, a puppy off of me. And, uh, I, I mean, we're an hour and 19 minutes into this podcast. So I might've mentioned it, but extremely well-bred pup texts me today and he's like, love her to death, you know, just waiting for her retrieve drive to build up. And I'm like, retrieve drive? Shoot, man, she's four and a half months old. That sucker should be, you know, ripping things out of your hand to go retrieve it. And, you know, every puppy's different. So I, I'm I'm saying it lightheartedly right now, guys, because, you know, four and a half months old is a baby still. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But anyways, long story short, I'm like, dude, send me a video of what you're doing. So video comes through and it's like, hey, 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 throws a token. And it's like the dog is sniffing grass over here and the dokens going over here and this is going on over there. And I'm like, all right, let's simplify. He's also sent me videos of he has two other dogs in his house and the puppy. And he's like, man, she loves playing with the other dogs. This is so great. They all get along great. Now. In the back of my head, I'm thinking she is playing with other dogs, burning physical and mental energy, tearing it up, having fun, which is positive, but there is a negative to it. Then a lot of mental and physical stimulation over here and then over here and then over here. And then you bring out a bumper and you want me to go chase it? No, nah, I'd rather go play with this guy. So my recipe for him was one week, one week, no more interaction with the other dogs. One week, heavily stuck in the crate. One week of 
you and the dog alone so that you become the most exciting thing in the world so that you and the bumper become a prize a something to be desired if it's me and a bumper and or her best buddy the uh beagle or whatever you know your your other dog is your your labradoodle or shih tzu and they're playing with a stick over there and you're trying to get their attention and play with a bumper over here no chance it is what it is so separate them a little bit build the bond you and the dog alone you and that puppy alone and then allow enough energy to build up that when you take them out of that crate and it's like let me at them i don't care what we do but i'm full tilt they're physically and mentally focused now we tease them with a bumper and i don't mean hey hey and throw it i mean hey buddy 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 and i'm i'm getting them to chase figure eights around my legs chasing that thing and chasing it and chasing it and chasing it and then as they're chasing it and chasing it and chasing it i toss it so it's not like they're chasing it and i spin 180 and throw it it's they're following it and then it get tossed okay so right. let's say i do a uh i'm i'm trying to close your eyes everybody i'm figurating in front of my body with a bumper or a dokin or a pigeon or whatever back and forth and back and forth and this little tiny puppy is chasing it and they're just they're almost about to bite it and then i pull it away from their mouth and they're almost about to bite it and i pull it away from their mouth and then they come back around and as they're about to bite it i toss it so they are they're on it they're following it they're about to chomp and then that sucker takes off and it lands 10 feet away what do you think it's going to do wander off and go find a stick no, they're going to go and chase it. So it's, it again, it's very simple, but it's finesse. If I just, hey, 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 and throw, they might be like, hmm, I just saw a leaf blow. No, there's a bumblebee. Oh, what is this? A shadow? Oh, let me check this out. So I've got to build that little bit of chase. I got to build that little bit of focus on what I've got in my hand over and over and over again. And now, and then over, you know, they go and get it and bring it back and over and over and over and over and over again. And now, and then they, all of a sudden, they're like, focus on what I have in my hand and that it's something to be thrown and going and getting and we're good. And so I gave them that piece of advice. And sure enough, what video do I get? A video of a puppy retrieving. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not rocket science, but it's not easy either. So, and I think. I'll cut you off real quick, Bob. I think, too, the same thing applies when the dog gets older. Yeah. You know, when you go through steadiness and you're telling that dog, hey, you can't go. That I get on to my guys all the time. You can't just go, hey, hey, and throw a bird. You've got to make that dog want to go out there. You've got to make that dog think, hey, that's the best thing I can do is go that way. And like you said, you kind of got to sound like a little girl out there and high-pitched voice and playing around with it and getting it crazy. I've not met very many monotone dog trainers. No, no, dude, zero. But how many guys or gals come out to your house and are embarrassed to get their dog revved up? And so it's just like, 
flipping in it, flopping it in their hand and then toss it. And it's like, come on, man. Are you, are you, I've had to call people out grown 50 year old dudes. Like, Hey bud, do me a solid, act like a schoolgirl, and, and, and high pitch voice it and, and get out of your comfort zone because your dog needs it. And if you're right. not willing to do it, then you're not willing to go to get, you know, be successful. So get out of your comfort zone and make it happen. Absolutely. 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 So I want to recap really quickly. You know, our first few hunts, I think Oliver, you know, did a great job on the dove hunt and explaining how his young dog that he trained became successful. His young dog needed confidence, needed to eyeball a few birds going down in in that helicopter where you stone them and they just circle their way down to the ground. And we, we talked about drive and we talked about corrections and we talked about, you know, having standards on your first few hunts and, and you folks are the handler. You're the handler. Okay. You're the guy or gal that brings your dog on a hunt you're responsible for doing many things, maintaining obedience, maintaining steadiness, maintaining fun for the dog. This is supposed to be fun. So we talked about that and we talked about building retrieve drive for a young puppy and that it's, you know, we're not holding them. I don't want a steady puppy. I don't do not send me a video on Instagram of your nine week old puppy sitting and waiting for its name to go get a bird. Don't do it. Don't send it. Send it somewhere else. Send me a video of your puppy ripping through tall, thick cover, chasing down a live pigeon because that's what it lives for. So we've got to, we got to recreate this idea. Build retrieve dive. Okay. Build confidence. And then, you know, doubling back to our first topic is now we hone it. So we build all that crazy retrieve drive. Now we need to say, all right, at this age, we've got to recognize it. Let's hone it and then bring it on back so we become steady. But don't do it too soon. Do not do it too soon. It's easier to bring them down than to build them up. Okay. Oliver, you got anything to add to that, buddy? No, man. I think you got it all. Just let the puppies have fun. You got the rest of their life to do everything you want with them. In the first, you know, first few months, just let them have fun and build that desire. No doubt about it. All right, everybody. Quick shout out. Oliver Berman, Foundation Retrievers, Buffalo, South Carolina. Do me a solid. Hit subscribe. Five-star review. Go to LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Show us a little support. You know, a little t-shirt, a little hat goes a long way for me and Kevin when we're increasing our you know production value kevin kevin's mouthing something to me right now why don't you just talk into the microphone we could do that uh we're starting to pump out some great videos on youtube uh, check those out yeah. Lone duck outfitters and kennels on youtube um get some yeah get some thank you oliver tell everybody where they can find you my friend uh you can find us on instagram at foundation underscore retrievers we are on facebook and we have we're just getting a website going foundation retrievers.com nice and you can hit me up there if you have any questions and that's about it 
Very good. Where can they find your Chippendales link where you dance at night? Oh, I'd have to call an old girlfriend from college to get that one. Had <laughs> a baby, dude. <laughs> hey, man, listen, your first podcast with Lone Duck was a success. I think you crushed it. I hope it was good. I hope I didn't get too long on the bio, but hey, I've I feel like I know you. It's taken a long you. time to get there. It's taken a long time to get where we are. So. I'm proud of you. All kidding aside, I'm uh, known you for a long time. You're a class act. You're a good dog trainer. You are kind. One thing I'm I'm real big on is kindness to the animal. Even though we talked about correction and being tough on dogs tonight, kindness it, it goes a long way. And and you run a nice ship, buddy. And I'm proud of you for everything that you've done and what you're going to continue to do. So let's do another episode, maybe after duck season, so we can recap all the good stuff you guys did. And then uh, the other kicker is I'm going to be down south this winter. So me and you are going to hang out and have fun. So looking forward to it, Bob. Until the next episode, everybody, that five star, click it. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link, join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it, enjoy it. We did it for you and you're helping us produce this show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters hey listeners nick larson here host of the bird shop podcast as fans of this show you may be interested in the conversations on the bird shop podcast where we discuss all things upland hunting from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns bird dogs and gear used to pursue them whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more i interview a wide range of guests each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share if you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation please consider subscribing to the bird shop podcast today Thank you